0: What separates a good anime from a great anime? Why do some animes stick with us long after we've watched it? Welcome to the workshop.
1: I'm Emily. And I'm Chris. We're two friends from high school and now aspiring writers. And in this podcast, we discuss and deconstruct storytelling elements in some of our favorite animes. Today in the workshop, we will be looking at a classic shojo anime based on a manga that ran from 2002 all the way through 2010. Oron High School Host Club. Oh God! This is our <laughs> second episode, and today we'll be talking about the 26th episode animated adaptation of Oron that aired between April and September 2006. So even though it's a series that was released a while ago, we'll still warn you guys that we will be talking about spoilers from the entirety of the televised series, so if you haven't seen it yet and think you might be interested, please watch it before listening on. Why did you laugh? (laughs) (laughs) Nothing. So, um,
0: Oran High School Host Club, for those of you that don't know... Um, follows an honor student named Fujioka Haruhi, who's a first-year student at Oran High School, a prestigious academy in Tokyo for rich kids and Japan's elite. Haruhi is admitted to the school on scholarship and one day happens to stumble upon the host club and breaks an extremely expensive antique vase. So the boys of the club mistake Haruhi for a boy at first, and find that she's actually quite skilled at entertaining their female guests. So in exchange for paying off the vase, Haruhi ends up getting roped into joining the club and being a host. Yay! And there we go. <laughs> and that's where the adventure starts. So let's go into first impressions. Let's
1: just get this over with. Okay, yes. let's just get this <laughs> over with. Oh boy. Um, Do people know what host clubs are? <laughs> let's just describe sure. it real quick. So to my understanding, um, a host club is, it's a business and they are not to be complicated or confused with like, um, anything uh, prostitutional, right? So it's not sex work. Um, Mm -hmm. but
0: basically you pay a fee to just be entertained by good looking guys or women. Like it's, it's men or women this show follows a male host club um it's it's part of like japanese like nightlife Mm -hmm. yeah Um, and it's
1: usually just like a drink a meal and then like you guys like talking
0: this isn't really something that exists as much in other cultures like you in other cultures you just pay for sex work but Mm -hmm. like this is a little bit different because it's sort of like you're paying for like a fake intimate experience which is super weird
1: you're paying for um the attention and mm, mm-hmm. almost like a false sense of emotional connection which if that makes sense is even like that's kind of sad but yeah you <laughs> that's what you're paying for yeah uh so this is an anime that i have watched previously already yeah um but this is kristen's first time seeing the series oh my God. watching yes it, upon yes. my recommendation. <laughs> But I thought it would
0: be interesting to have a discussion about this kind of iconic show from someone who is very familiar with it to someone Mm -hmm. like me who's like never experienced it ever. And
1: whose first experience is from like another decade, you know? Yeah. like This came out in the early 2000s and now you're seeing it for the first time in 2020, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, Mm -hmm. arguably a very different time.
0: Yeah. And I'm, I'm watching it as like someone in my early 20s and not someone who's like a kid yes. or, like, in a teenager or something.
1: Yes. Yeah. So this is Chris's, like, raw, raw first impression. Oh, my God. I hate the word raw. Oh, my God. But, yeah. <laughs> I used it twice. <laughs> she went raw, raw. <laughs> oh, my
0: okay. God. Okay. Great. Wow. Um, where to begin? Okay. I feel like I should start by saying, though, that the show was better than I thought it would be. And that's okay. probably because I went in with low expectations. But, honestly, like, so... Okay. The only other shoujo content that I was familiar with before going into Oron was um, stuff like Itazura and a Kiss and Boys Over Flowers. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if you know those two, but those are also really, really popular. Mm-hmm. Like, late 90s, early 1000s shojo. Yeah. And both of those stories, like... They, they're they also iconic. I don't want to like hate on anyone for liking them, but they're kind of shallow in their storytelling. And that's kind of the perception that I had of Shoujo was that mm-hmm. it just had underdeveloped characters. It was very romance focused. And so when I actually started watching this show, it didn't actually turn out to be as romance focused or as shallow as I thought it was going to mm-hmm. be. And there was a lot more interesting character depth and a lot more interesting character writing than I anticipated. And I feel, and I honestly, like genuinely, there were moments in the show where I had, I was clutching my heart a little bit. Like, <laughs> I was kind of feeling it. And mm-hmm. I also enjoyed it a lot more when I started watching it more as a sort of as a parody or as a commentary of its own genre and of yes. otaku culture, of like yaoi boys' love fan culture. Because I think there are moments in the show where they, they have a lot of self awareness about the tropes. Mm hmm. Um, But with all that said, I don't feel like it – even though it has that self-awareness, I don't think it particularly subverts those tropes or has any interesting dissection of those tropes. And so I think it's still – there's still, like, the fetishization of, like, problematic and controversial dynamics. And I think it's – you know, at the end of the day, I don't think it's, like, super harmful – um because i don't think that it particularly romanticizes it i think it's more played for laughs and it might be a taste thing at the end of the day but i'm just like i just particularly have an aversion to things like moe <laughs> and incest like i just uh-huh. have like a visceral reaction to it that mi- <laughs> that I, it's harder for me to play off those things as laughs because it's just like uh it just makes me personally uncomfortable
1: i no i completely agree and i think that if i were in your position watching it from Fresh eyes in 2020, now as like a 21 year old, um, I would have the same stance. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, we did have some discussion earlier before starting the pod. Mm -hmm. Well, is it okay for a series like this to be talking about these things? You know, just because it came out earlier, like it came out in the early 2000s, right. yeah. is it a product of its time? I really, really liked the co- comedic aspect. And I think that comedy is so something that's so essential to romance because I think that it's undeniable that a lot of young girls, especially the audience that Oran Host Club targets, yeah. um, have these fantasies and these ideals mm-hmm. and expectations right, right, right? Right, yeah. about what love is, especially if they haven't experienced it yet. Mm-hmm. And so, but at the same time, I think that. For that kind of audience, love can be a really, really scary thing. Mm -hmm. And so comedy is nice in that it kind of buffers that risk and that danger. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's why I think comedy is so essential when portraying Mm -hmm. love and romance, um, which is why personally, I think the, the series did so well when it first came out in the early 2000s. Yeah. And then also, it's just like people had a different mindset about stuff back then, you know, like a lot yeah. a lot of things were allowed to to slide <laughs> in the early 2000s. So. I will,
0: yeah, I will say that in anime, a lot of things can still slide. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, to your point about comedy, I feel like that is 100% true. Like, I think at the end of the day, you did watch this as a kid, but you know, you grew up as an adult and you didn't it's not like you were like incest yeah totally here for it like like <laughs> oh Moe, yeah. yeah pedophilia like we're here for it you know mm-hmm. you you learn through other media so I don't think this is a show that could get away with all of that in 2020 but uh-huh. I do think that um it's because there are so many other strong points about the show it kind of balances out and I think it stands out especially because if you look at its contemporaries had male leads that were like douchebags for and Mm -hmm. and you're supposed to like romanticize that and I would argue Mm -hmm. that that's a lot more harmful for young girls or for young um, people to watch and to see that as romance than to see for example really awesome kind characters like Haruhi and Tamaki you know what I mean so Mm -hmm. I think that this show has a lot more than romantic love at its center um, which is probably what resonated with people over the years Mm
1: -hmm. So we've divided the writing into four sections um, of story, of the storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, so firstly, we'll be focusing on episode one to five. I think it was interesting when they introduced Renge for the first time. <laughs> um, so essentially Renge is a Renge. character who is, she's like described as being a complete otaku. Yeah her character introduction, at least, was interesting because it made me really see Renge's character as almost like a representative of the viewers because, like Renge, we like to point out all of the flaws of the boys upon first seeing them, right? Like, oh, like you guys are so stereotypical, so Mm -hmm. cliche, the plot is so dumb and the cast is so Mm one-dimensional, how do you expect us to fall in love with these characters and with this Mm storyline? But, you know, as we'll probably go on to talk more about, I think the whole show is centered around how you shouldn't judge things by their first appearance. Yeah.
0: And like you said, she is a stand in for us. And I was reading stuff about, you know, like about the show in general, about its reception. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it really is praised as being... A parody or a commentary of like Otaku culture. And Renge does come in <laughs> as this otaku who is just like, oh my God, Kyoya. And then finds yeah. out that he's literally nothing like um he thought or she thought he would be, which I think mm-hmm. is a pretty important message or commentary to make about sort of idolizing people that you don't know or <laughs> fictional <Right>. characters. So <laughs> love yeah. that for us. <laughs> love that for
1: us. Um so yeah. I did have one note to say about Haruhi, like especially when we first meet her. I think that Mm -hmm. upon her initial introduction, she's Mm -hmm. she's supposed to be a stand-in for us as well in a Mm -hmm. way where she's supposed to be the normal character. Mm -hmm. Um, She's supposed to be the quiet, humble one, and so she's supposed to be the relatable one. Yes, you know, yeah. So when they first discover that Haruhi is actually a girl instead yes. of a guy, at the end of episode um, one, but when she when she takes her glasses off and <laughs> and like puts on a dress, right. that's when you realize she's a girl, right? And yes. I yeah. I don't know, like I just let out a really deep sigh, right? Um, when she took off her glasses, uh-huh. they looked at her and they were like, "Oh my goodness! Oh my God. You she's are a so beauty!
0: Pretty. Yeah, yeah, yeah." <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'm just tired of female protagonists who are supposed to be quote unquote relatable ending up being like the epitome of superficial beauty after, you know, you just put some hair and makeup on 100%. her. Take her glasses off. Oh my
0: God. That is a trope of the early thousands that has to die because I'm yes. so tired of it. I'm really glad that you brought that up because now that's reminding me about just like, how are there all these people that are just like, oh my God, Haruhi, like they're all just like, Falling for her. And it's like she's so fast. fast. I know. And I'm like, I hate this trope. This trope needs to die. Mm. But I will say that Haruhi, I think that she is actually genuinely likable. And there's actually elements that we can see that she is kind, that she is caring, that she's humble, and that she doesn't like (laughs) she doesn't take anyone's crap. So she stays unbothered. And I love that for her. And (laughs) to make this confession, which I already made to Emily. (laughs) <laughs> I watched a significant portion of the show in the English dub because, you yeah. know, it's a lot of hours to get through. And yeah. <laughs> Haruhi's voice actor in English highlights a a more, like, deadpan personality.
1: Yeah. Her voice in reality is actually much higher, but she mm-hmm. forcibly lowered it during the... Um, during the anime to to make that effect to Haruhi. So I
0: actually really like Haruhi's VA in English because it kind of adds sort of that chill, deadpan, like, I don't don't take no crap from
1: anyone type side of her personality, which I really liked. Yeah, because you come to understand that she's Mm -hmm. just been through so much already Mm -hmm, that at at this point in her character, in her life, like, Mm -hmm. no matter how ridiculous or wild or chaotic Things seem to get for her like exactly. she's already experienced the turmoils of life like oh, she's already know. had her yeah. midlife crisis <laughs> <laughs> um so tamaki i feel
0: like tamaki he's kind of established as the leader right and then he's he also like kind of sees everyone in the club as his family or that he's some kind of dad mm-hmm. and then that's kind of it and then that's kind of all we we see from him Until the end of the show. Right. I liked Tamaki, but I was constantly craving more from his character. I was kind of wishing that the show had sprinkled more character building throughout Mm -hmm. the 26 episodes instead of getting it right at the end. Because I watched a significant portion of the show being like, Why is Tamaki so chaotic? (laughs) Like, and for what? You know. Mm -hmm, mm
1: -hmm. So that was my
0: only gripe about Tamaki. But as a male lead, he's he's awesome. Like, I actually Mm -hmm. really like his character.
1: Yeah, I think that that was probably very intentional because. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. As a viewer, like, even I remember when watching this as a as a young girl. Like, Mm -hmm. I still felt like I liked him as a character all throughout the series, Mm -hmm. and I think that his character especially in that in the time period when it first came out there weren't many characters that were chaotic loud boisterous mm-hmm. um but still calm in a way like I don't know you just derive a sense of delight from seeing him like do yeah. all his antics and shenanigans I agree yeah yeah and while still maintaining that sense of mystery about him it was mm-hmm. so paradoxical mm-hmm. that I think that that's a what a What was about him that kept viewers hooked onto his character, and it was okay for them to show all of his backstory at the very end. I don't know. I think that the intent there was intention behind that to keep you wondering more about who this guy was and not giving it to you until the very end.
0: I mean, I'm not criticizing the choice to leave it to the end because there's there is a sense of maturity to Tamaki's character that you get even before the end of the show. I think there are ways to sprinkle out character depth that isn't necessarily like here's some backstory, like for example, mm-hmm. you meet Tamaki and then you learn more about him just by seeing how he wants to like help all these people and that's that's mm-hmm. a character cue, but there's nothing yep. specific about his backstory there um right. and I just wish that there were more smaller character moments um sprinkled throughout the show, mm-hmm. um but I do agree that the um The payoff that we get at the end by learning all of his backstory is really reinforced by how much we have seen of people's other people's opinions of him throughout the Mm -hmm.
1: show. So the next section where we'll be talking about spans from episode eight through thirteen. We grouped the episodes accordingly because we thought that this was really the chunk of the series that focused on Haruhi's character development as well as the the development between her relationship with the boys and episode eight is what kicks off this section it's the beach episode where essentially they all go visit the ocean Mm -hmm. and you know something happens with Haruhi she witnesses a few of the girls who were also on this vacation getaway um, being harassed by some rando strangers who were guys (laughs) in the area. Yep, some thugs. And, you know, she tries to step in. In the meantime, she gets herself hurt. She gets herself pushed off of a ledge into the ocean and she has to be rescued. Um, After she is rescued, basically she gets into a little bit of a disagreement and argument with the boys, um, especially with Tamaki because there is this there's a conflict over whether it's really her place to step in in a situation like that, especially because, I mean, the reality of the fact is that she's a woman, right?
0: Yeah, I really liked this episode. I think it was a moment where I kind of realized, yeah, I, I was like, hmm, this is actually a lot more character depth than I thought mm-hmm. um, was the show was capable of. But um, I started out like kind of feeling weird about this episode because I was <laughs> kind of like, The gender norms are really jumping out in this episode (laughs) with just Tamaki being so mad at her because I, but then I also understood both characters' perceptions because with Haruhi, it was like, was I supposed to do nothing? Like Mm -hmm. there's these girls getting, you know, harassed and I'm, I'm here and I'm, am I supposed to do nothing? But then I also understand where Tamaki is coming from where it's like, you know, you could have gotten hurt and you have to be, you can't just be so. Reckless and you have to like be a little bit more self-aware and care about yourself a little bit more. So I understood where both characters were coming from.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I was kind of annoyed that like tamaki was basically just like, but you're a girl, and like that's right. why I'm mad. Right. But I think the episode is redeemed because we do get some depth to Haruhi's character. Um basically at the end, there's a thunderstorm and she is scared of thunder and she kind of locks herself in this closet, and Tamaki mm-hmm. finds her, and we kind of learn that the reason that Haruhi is always so like quick to jump in and to not ask for help is because, you know, she grew up as a very independent person and she kind of had to learn how to rely on just herself. And that has now translated into who she is now. And I think that one, we get that we get to learn that about her, which is great. Mm. And then two, Tamaki apologizes and he realizes where she was coming from. And so they kind of reconcile in that way, which is a lot more of an interesting and deep (laughs) reconciliation than I thought would happen. So I think that, I do think that the moment of, um, there's that moment where uh, Kyoya pretends to (laughs) sort of like, come on to Haruhi and like pretends to basically ask for a sexual favor, like just to Mm
1: -hmm.
0: quote-unquote prove Tamaki's point that Haruhi is reckless because she walked into a man's room at night. I was like,
1: (laughs) that's such a stretch, and I'm not here for that. But the rest of the episode, I really liked. I think, yeah, I really liked this episode as well. I think that this episode... Tries to cover two separate questions actually. Mm -hmm. Um, With the first question being that disagreement over, well, what are the boundaries, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. you have to stay within as a woman? Mm -hmm. Um, But then they kind of use that as that question as like a distractor from the core issue, which was Haruhi's sense of like independence. Yeah. Um, Because at the end of the episode i realized that they never actually come to a solid conclusion or an mm-hmm. answer for the first question and i yeah. think that was very appropriate yeah. because mm-hmm. you know it's a it's a difficult question like i don't think it's a secret that women mm-hmm. are considered physically Most of the time, weaker than men. Yeah. So the question that was first proposed um, as like the initial conflict was, should women be getting ourselves into situations that might be potentially dangerous, even if it's the right thing to do in that situation? Right. Right. Yeah. That kind of got me thinking like, you know, as a woman, you're always trying to like, empower one another because you have to yeah like there are yeah. always workshops all about you know you, we must learn as women how to stand up for ourselves yeah how to navigate today's yeah. society as a woman yeah. But, you know, it's the unfortunate reality that there are no workshops for men about how to navigate society as a proper man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I agree. Respecting other yeah. people. And, and so it's it's unfortunate that we have to ask that question, like, uh-huh. should women be getting themselves into a potentially dangerous situation? Just to, um, for that point, like, I think the
0: answer to that question is always, will always be the men shouldn't be creating those yes. situations in the first place like we can talk about like okay but if you were in that situation like we can break mm-hmm. down all the nuances and i think it's exactly. a, case, a case thing but the answer will always come back to th- it shouldn't be a situation ever um mm-hmm.
1: it's like an unfortunate reality like we yeah. can't yeah we have to ask that question we're forced to but yeah we wish we wouldn't we would yeah. not have to yeah. right mm-hmm. um but then going on to the second question about You know, independence, especially in Haruhi's case, Um, I think that for myself, episode Mm -hmm. eight was like a pivotal point in the anime for me because I, you know, I saw myself in Haruhi in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. um, when she was talking about how she's unable to she's unable to like she has this inability to ask for help from people around Mm -hmm. her and that's why she gets herself into um difficult situations Mm -hmm. i i agree with the anime and seeing it as a weakness because i think that it's easy to look at yourself as self-righteous and humble if you convince yourself that um you have to shoulder everything alone Mm -hmm. i think that's like a very false sense of humility and a false sense of Mm self-righteousness um And as a result, like, you miss out on a lot in life and you find it difficult to trust others. Yeah. Um, Which is why, like, I think episode eight as a young girl resonated with me a lot because Mm -hmm. it was like, oh, it was the first time that, you know, I have saw through media, depicted in media, um, a real commentary about how to trust people how to depend on others and the fact that it was like in uh this like shoujo anime it was like it came as a real shocker
0: yeah and i think also when you're a girl and you're you know stubborn i mean like i i personally like i grew up with an older brother and so Mm -hmm. i think we kind of had that similarity where i always felt like i had to Like there's always something you had to prove because you're a girl and you have to prove that you can do it by yourself, like more more than, yeah. So I guess I never took away that particular thought while I was watching this episode, but it's Mm -hmm. interesting to hear that that's kind of how you perceived it as a kid watching it.
1: Yeah, because, like, watching it as an adult, like, these are kind of lessons that you have to learn already as you're coming of age. But, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're a young teen or a young girl, Mm -hmm. these are, you know, things that you maybe didn't really realize or notice before. Yeah, Yeah. and then also just, like, as adults, because as adults, we feel like we can just be so critical and, like, um, yeah, <laughs> oh, like, we think we know best about what yeah. kids are exposed to, right? But I know. I mean, we're, interesting.
0: we're talking about, like, we're so old. Yeah. <laughs> I mean we're I would say that we're adults but we're really mm-hmm. we're in our we're, we're we're 21 guys like we're not that we're not that <laughs> old like not to expose us or anything but I would say that we have lived a significant portion of life like we lived mm-hmm. through those awkward teen years yeah um I would say those are very formative years of our mm-hmm. lives and we have come mm-hmm. out the other side so I think it's okay <laughs> to have those opinions but I agree I think that adults tend to look at things with a lot of cynicism and right. I think that's you know thinking critically is part of that it's part of being cynical but also I don't think it's okay to have cynicism or being critical as the default yeah. mindset I think cynicism should always be to to challenge and to open up the discussion rather than to Definitely. be like the default like this is just how I view society like
1: <laughs> good episode let's go on to episode nine yeah. So episode nine kind of has its own small discussion points as well because it's mm-hmm. the introduction of the Labellia's Girls Academy. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, like <laughs> I would say, like we're 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 feminists, yeah. and you know, being also women as ourselves, <laughs> like we have a lot to say when it comes to portrayals of women. Like, yeah, and so that I think yeah. that's why episode nine kind of gets its own discussion point because it shows a side of women that isn't like all of a sudden that Mm -hmm. is just a complete contrast to the woman that we've been seeing portrayed so far at Oran Academy. Mm -hmm. So essentially what happens is that there are three representatives from the Zuka Club at the LaBellia's Girls Academy. Basically they come making all of these vague, all-encompassing proclamations about manhood, womanhood, blah blah blah. Renge has this apt description of the Zuka Club as a group of strong young maidens who consider women to be superior oh in every way. Oh god, the way that I cringed <laughs> when she said that. <laughs> it's a society of maidens oh by maidens for maidens.
0: Absolutely not. I started out really liking this episode because like you said this is a completely different shift from how we are usually seeing females in the show and so we see Lobelia and you're like oh my god like wow, they come in, they challenge, you know, they rip Tamaki apart and gender norms. And they're like, do you think we need protecting? Like, you think that's what girls want to hear? And like, all this kind of Mm -hmm. stuff. I was here for it. And I also liked that. um, What's her name? Benio, whatever her name is. Benibara. Yeah. Benibara. The sort of the leader of this club she's Mm -hmm. sort of vying for harvey's affections um and so it was like she's a female she's being presented as a quote-unquote love interest or whatever i was like okay Mm -hmm. that's fun um, and it was silly, and I was okay with that. But then just, oh, they had to come in and make them radical feminists. And I was like, why? Yeah. And then, oh my God. What a
1: good opportunity. It to was, they just
0: squandered. They just squandered. I was literally about to let this show pass the Bexel test, and then they had to come yeah. in and use Hitler imagery for them. Like, yeah. I'm not even making that up. Like, they, they did. They came in with the swastikas, and I was like, I hate yeah. this so
1: much. So that just sucks. Um, I think that. There's also something to be said about, like, LaBellia's portrayal of what a strong, independent oh, woman should god, be. Oh my god, I hate it. <laughs> why is it that a strong, independent woman, why do they have to be so masculine all the time? Why yeah. do they have to have oh, short god, hair and low it. voices, yeah, 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 right? Yeah. And, like, like I'm of the opinion that I think a woman can still be in a traditional relationship, Um with traditional generals and still be happy and strong and independent, you know, yeah, like yeah. you uh, strength and independence doesn't come from this masculine idea of femininity. Exactly. And so, yeah, that's kind of also what got me as to like, Oh, why? But mm-hmm. I also, be- you know, I also acknowledge that that's a very new way of thinking. Like, in the- I think it does
0: need to be said, like, I think, you know, again, it's a product of its time. And, People are going to say, like, you can't judge it for all of these things because (laughs) no one was thinking like that in the early thousands. But I think we're talking about it now in 2020. (laughs) And I have, like, it has to be said that. It has to be said. (laughs) It does have to be said that, again, it was squandered potential. You came in, Mm -hmm. you had basically canon lesbians coming to the show, and they had to be radical feminists. They had to be Butch. They had to have (laughs) short hair. It was just, Uh it was so unfortunate because. Yeah, it just completely squandered any mm-hmm. any good feelings I had about the characters, unfortunately.
1: And, you know, like at the end of the episode, I do believe that the end of the episode redeems the episode a little bit. It do- I don't think it fully does. Episode 9? Um, just a little bit. Episode 9, because, mm-hmm. you know, she cho- Haruhi at the end chooses not to go with the Zuka Club, even right. though yeah. I think that it would be the most logical place for her to end up. Yes. Yeah. But you know she still chooses to stay with the host club, and yeah. so, um, I think that the maybe what the mangaka was trying to say the there is like you can see Oran as a commentary on gender roles, or you can see it as also like a story about characters that you just grow to love because you love their yeah. personality, and that's what mm-hmm. Haruhi loved about the host club. She loved their personality. Yeah, she. And the Zuka Club, like, arguably has no personality other than their identity as extreme feminists. Yeah, like, which is so wish, unfortunate and so I toxic. I wish that they could, we could know more about these characters other than there's their political stance on, femi- <laughs> like, feminism. Yeah. But Yeah. Missed opportunities. Yeah. Hate to see it. Okay, um, so other things that happen within this these, like, few episodes are the boys go to visit um, Haruhi at her home, and mm-hmm. they meet her father, mm-hmm. and then, um, you know, a couple of episodes later, um, basically there's this episode about, like, Haruhi in Wonderland. It's kind of a filler episode because they portray everything as, like, um, just another adaptation of the Alice in Wonderland story. Yeah, it's a bit more of a surrealist episode, like mm-hmm. a dream
0: sequence almost. Which yeah, fun. I mean,
1: it was fun, and mm-hmm. there wasn't much to take away from it um, that pertained to the main storyline, but mm-hmm. I really liked that, you know, this was kind of the episode where I finally, it kind of finally clicked to me that Haruhi wanted to become a lawyer, like her mother, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's this really meaningful scene at, towards the end of that episode where she's talking to the king and queen of hearts, and justify and she's acting as, like, legal counsel for... um Renge, who is under trial. I won't get into why. (laughs) Let's not get into why. (laughs) Um, uh, But she's acting as legal counsel. And she's kind of making a case for is it okay for parents to take time away from their family and for Mm -hmm. their home um, because of their career, especially as a mother? Because, you know, there's the traditional motherly role of being there for your children, especially for her. Like her mother passed away. When she was so young. Mm-hmm. And you can just only infer that her mother, because she was a lawyer when she was alive, didn't spend that much time at home either. Yeah. And yet Haruhi still has this, such a deep and meaningful connection with her. Mm-hmm. And she brings up um, the question of, like, if that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and Haruhi kind of makes a statement well, when a mother has to be away providing for her family, mm-hmm. her children know that she's doing it out of love. Yeah. And so sure they might get lonely from time to time but it's understandable and so it's impossible to pass that kind of judgment on whether to say oh you're not being a good family woman because you are busy you know you're career oriented you're busy yeah. at your job mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know Like this is an example of the yeah. kind of moments um, <laughs> that make this series stand out to me as something more than just a typical shoujo manga and anime because I think that Yes, you know, we were saying it executes the tropes of romance and taboo themes that have to do with romance poorly. Mm -hmm. It executes feminism poorly. But I think that it, you know, sometimes it portrays other themes very well, like the example of family and how to deal with difficult questions like a woman's place in society, especially when they want to be advocates for justice. Right. And I think there's also something
0: interesting there about like just women's expectations about um they are seen as people that are usually like they're supposed to be the family oriented ones and just Mm -hmm. moms and dads are held to such different standards like dads can do the bare minimum like change a diaper and they're like oh my god like he's such a good dad like it's like okay great you literally changed a diaper (laughs) like good for you like you did the bare minimum and for what like for sure yeah so I think I did like how at the end it does tie back um into like a deeper part of Haruhi's psyche because it's it's really played off as this like dream sequence type episode but you do mm-hmm. get more about her about her personal goals about her mom so
1: mm-hmm. yeah there's a lot of interesting stuff to unpack at the end of that episode mm-hmm. all right so the next section of or the next few episodes that we're going to be looking at uh we're going to be looking at episodes 14 through 20 so we grouped these episodes together because we felt like it was a good chance to get to know the host club members better. Yeah. So episode fifteen, um, essentially it's the beginning of summer, and Haruhi goes to Karuizawa, which is like kind of like in the countryside. I believe it's more a little bit. of a rural setting. Mm-hmm. She's basically staying and working at this B and B that belongs to a friend of her father's. Mm-hmm. Um, because we have to keep the boys and Haruhi together. Yeah. Uh we love plot armor. The boys end up there as well and they kind of have this like little fun competition to see who can score the most points with like the owner of the BnB and stay with Haruhi <laughs> at the BnB during the summer. This is definitely a moment with the twins. Um For sure.
0: I did like the <laughs> I did like the introduction of a ride he's like this fellow commoner (laughs) who was friends (laughs) friends with haruhi in middle school and we also learn had a crush on her who would have guessed oh my gosh (laughs) no way yeah no way and so you know he's happy to see haruhi they're catching up and there's this whole thing about hikaru one of the twins getting just like super antagonistic towards this guy and so we kind of have a moment to delve into Hikaru's character and why he's acting like this and Mm -hmm. you know Hikaru is kind of I guess his emotion what should I say his his emotional intelligence his
1: control over his emotions yes yeah yeah I would say his emotional yeah it's
0: you know it's got a little bit of work um So I, I liked that. I liked that we got to mm-hmm. differentiate the two characters because, you know, identical twins, even though they're identical, they have individual personalities. Who would have guessed? Um, what? <laughs> what I did feel – I don't know. How do you fe- – I'm going to ask you first. How did you sure. feel about um, this kind of justification for Hikaru's anger?
1: Right. And I I mean, guess, I don't think it's justified. Um I definitely agree with you that it was like a very rude way of portraying <laughs> your jealousy and like yeah. unnecessary, it's extra, but i I understand that there it's it's not unfounded, right because mm-hmm. we learn that the twins go through a special kind of childhood we real very much see them grow up in such th- like their own little bubble, and I yeah. think that obviously there are consequences from growing up in a bubble um and so is it, um, is it unfounded? No, because I think that there are reasons that have led up to his lack of EQ. Yeah. But is it justified? No, because obviously you should never, you know, is it, you should never treat another human being in that way. Yeah. And, you know, especially because, like, her childhood friend, like, he wasn't even trying to come on to her or anything. Yeah, like, he was just literally definitely... trying to hang out, catch up. But at the same time, from a viewer point of view, looking at a narrative, Um, It was a good way of differentiating between Kalru and Hikaru. Because, I don't know, I like the idea of having one of them be superior to the other in some way. Instead of just saying, oh, Kalru likes this. He has different hobbies. Mm -hmm. He's different. Um, But I like that instead of going, instead of differentiating laterally, they differentiated it hierarchically. (laughs) I mean, I would hesitate to use, like superior or in
0: that kind of way only because I mean I guess you could say like yeah Kaoru does have better emotional awareness and better self-awareness but I do agree with your point on Mm -hmm. that is a much more interesting differentiation than just like he's into soccer and he's into cooking yeah it would be (laughs) it's like the The differentiation is a lot more there's a lot more depth there. It's it's not Mm -hmm. as shallow as it could have been.
1: Yeah. Exactly. And so I enjoyed that aspect of the plot. And so, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hate Hikaru just because he did that. Like obviously, if it was a real person in real life, that would not fly. That doesn't fly. (laughs) Absolutely not. (laughs) For the purposes of advancing the narrative and distinguishing himself from the other twin. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) But I will say that. I
0: think the execution could have still been a little bit better. I think
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's it's okay if Hikaru is, you know, he's presented as, like, jealous and, like, he doesn't like yeah. this guy. But I just felt like he was so overt and it just, like, it was so heavy-handed, I guess. And we I'm always say, say,
1: like, good writing is showing, not telling. Exactly. You know? And that's, that's what it comes
0: down to with these two episodes. It was a lot yes. of telling yeah. instead of showing, um, unfortunately. Yeah. And um, on a side note, there's this... Well, basically, there's this moment where Hikaru, like, I don't know, throws a bit of a temper tantrum and, you know, he runs away from Haruhi and, like, leaves her alone during a thunderstorm, which, as we know, she's scared of thunder. And then Hikaru rushes out and finds her again. And then they share this little moment where Mm -hmm. he... I found this so cute. Like, I actually went, like, aw out loud when he, like, puts the (laughs) headphones headphones. on her to block out the thunder. I literally Uh wrote... I love this! <laughs> yeah, um, it was really cute. And I think it's literally just like a small character moment. There's like no words really exchanged. And I think mm. that's where the strongest moments of the show are like in the little moments. And it kind of
1: throws in some like love, interest, intrigue into it. It because, does. Yeah. Because right off the bat, you know that Haruhi is going to end up with Tamaki. Yeah. And like, I get that with. I get that with, like, reverse Haram. It's like, she, the love interest is technically supposed to be with all the boys. Yeah. And so I think that Oran does a good job in making it clear that, like, we're not gonna do that. Like, we're not gonna make everybody interested in her. Like, even later on in the series, like, Uh Honey and Mori are, like, talking and they're saying, like, oh, like, do you think Kyoya has... Like is interested in her yeah. or like Kaoru and they're like nah I, think, yeah, I honestly yeah, yeah. think it's just Hikaru and Tamaki so realistically like at the end of the day there are only two guys within this host club that yeah, like actually has a romantic like have like
0: feelings for her feelings in that way yeah. Yeah. I'm just com- and this is completely personal I just really I don't really like love triangles or
1: mm-hmm.
0: or <laughs> any kind of love squares or whatever where it's like <laughs> or any shapes I yeah. you have a tree
1: <laughs> just no not
0: here where it's obvious who the person's gonna end up with in the end um Mm -hmm. I do think like it can be done well um I think that this show kind of does it well because it's not just about the love triangle like the Mm -hmm. main focus is that we are learning things about Hikaru
1: even for the vying of Haruhi's heart with like Hikaru like that's Mm. not really it like Mm. they mostly use Haruhi's presence in his life as a way for him to become more connected with his emotions exactly like, yeah he doesn't yeah. really know how to care about others mm-hmm. so it's not like he has feelings for Haruhi Haruhi yeah. is just somebody in his life who he cares deeply about and exactly. so he's almost like it's almost like having her as a guinea pig on how do we how do I interact with other people right how do I care for people that I genuinely like mm-hmm. um and so it wasn't completely about oh i have feelings for her but i think she has feelings for tamaki so i don't know you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah i would actually die for hikaru (laughs) let's just say (laughs) oh my god i actually really like hikaru all right all right anyways (laughs) also sorry i just realized that i missed Mm. the the honey's honey's um episode because i didn't have that much to say about this i thought you just skipped it and i was like okay.
0: Did you have There's any a... notes about it, though? Nothing, like, substantial. Um, I do like, mm. I mean, we can talk about Honey's character for a little bit. Okay, quickly, quickly. Yeah. Honey and
1: Mori. We'll Let's talk about Honey and Mori, because they're, really, they're in
0: the club. They're not really fleshed out anyway. <laughs> yeah. I feel like Honey and Mori are just there for seasoning, just for a little bit of right. flavor, which is totally fine. <laughs> like, not every character mm-hmm. has to have, you know, a whole yep. elaborate backstory. Honey is basically, he's the Moe character. Like, he's he's mm. supposed to be 17 years old, but he acts like he's five. Um,
1: and he looks like he's
0: five. And he looks oh my like gosh, he's five. Why? And he talks like he's five. It's very like, problematic. It's so I'm, problematic.
1: And they, they have, it's not even just Honey. Like, they have so many children, young children come into the club. and like, I know. Like, I understand <laughs> where the low... <laughs> Okay, listen, I understand where the Lolita trend and trope comes from, and I understand the inclusion of it. Mm. So, fine, Honey gets a place and a role in this club, Yeah, but why are there so many other episodes where other children are also coming into the (laughs) club? It's a high school! Why are children being allowed into the high school? She's getting Ah, heated. I'm really upset.
0: People can debate about how harmful... The moe trope is specifically in this show. I mm-hmm. just have a lot of very visceral feelings about yeah. how to feel
1: <laughs> yeah. and about just the yes,
0: just the sexualization of minors in general. And I will not mm-hmm. excuse it just because it's an anime. Yeah, um, I and definitely
1: agree with you there.
0: I do like that the I guess the twist with Honey's character is that he's actually. <laughs> this like really skilled
1: fight. Martial arts. He's really
0: expert. he's actually like deadly good at martial arts, yeah. but that doesn't excuse the Moe.
1: Just because yeah. I like this aspect of your character doesn't yeah. excuse the existence of your character. Exactly. <laughs> um, I do think
0: Honey is cute. I do think that he yes. has these moments where he's a lot more like perceptive, but I just wish there was no moe.
1: But you know what? I just wish there was no pedophilia. Yeah, I just wish. I just wish. That's so hard. Is that so hard to ask. The other thing is like, yeah, that I thought was funny was earlier on they like when they introduced him as a fighter. They're mm. like, oh yeah, honey is like, an- the national champion mm. at karate and judo. I think. Yeah, something like that. And I just thought it was so funny coming out of the high episode where it was like, <laughs> it took the boys four seasons to be recognized to be recognized at the international level, sorry, at the national level. Yeah. And you know, Oran is just flippantly like, oh yeah, honey's like the national champion. (laughs) No big deal.
0: (laughs) I mean, Oran gets a pass for being absolutely ridiculous,
1: but I don't think anything gets a pass for pedophilia. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So for the next section, it's, we're calling it the finale arc. So basically this arc covers episodes 21 through 26. It's kind of like, the culmination of everything that we've watched so far Mm -hmm. we get all of this foreshadowing and the stakes start to get higher and higher of course they don't really tumbleweed into like gradually it's kind of like the stakes all of a sudden get high Mm -hmm. towards like episode 25 26 but we do get a little bit of foreshadowing starting from episode 21 um, which is the Halloween episode and you know that's kind of where Kauru starts with this like allegory, if that's the right word, or like analogy of mm-hmm. um, the Cinderella magic spell. Um, which I thought was really meaningful because I definitely agree that the host club, the more you get to know them and see their interactions and the things they do, you can actually pr- kind of describe them as living in a dream, right? Yeah. But their riches and their good looks kind of make them ignorant towards the issues of the real world. Mm-hmm. And they live in a really a loneliness and a helplessness that they kind of want to cover up yeah with all their frivolity. Yeah. And so, you know, it's easy to see how if anything were to ever happen to the host club, it's kind of like a shattering of this t- this thin glass that they're dancing mm-hmm. over. Yeah. And so Kaoru, he's aware of the lie in which they're living and he is aware that something like this can't really last forever. Yeah. And I do think
0: that just to go back to like what I said about the self-awareness of the show. Um, mm-hmm. because you know, you're watching it and it's so ridiculous. And so to finally we're reaching the end, and you know, they're actually tackling that idea of this is sort of a fantasy, and what yeah. does that mean for the characters
1: and for their future? Um it mm. almost like it's raising the stakes mm-hmm. for the care for the viewers as well, because yeah. you know, from episodes one through twenty-one, like we we participated in this frivolity and we yeah. enjoyed the comedy and the the, like lighthearted romance that they brought into our lives. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then we get into episode 24, which Aww. is the episode where we really dive, take a deep dive into Kyoya's character. Um, I thought that their execution of Kyoya's character was cool. It was really cool because mm-hmm. I agree. I like the premise of striving to be the perfect third son, which mm-hmm. you don't really see, right? Yeah you see characters striving to be the perfect first son. But in Kyoya's case, it's different because, well, he says, how can I demonstrate my abilities without exceeding the limits of my, um, like my label as being third son? And he likens it to painting a perfect picture on a canvas that has already been placed inside a frame, Mm -hmm. which I thought was, was like a cool um, imagery. It was cool imagery. And it was a cool way of going about, Okay, how do we tackle pressure, like family pressure? Yeah. Right? Yeah.
0: Yeah, I liked that we kind of return to Kyoya's character because it, it's so easy to just be like, oh, duty and like inheritance uh-huh. and blah blah blah. But they do some fun things with, I guess, with both Kyoya and Tamaki's character. And mm-hmm. they're both of them are part of these very prestigious families. And you kind of see yeah. this, I guess, juxtaposition between Kyoya being so ready to follow his father and to like please his father and and then tamaki who is technically supposed to literally be inheriting his family's company mm-hmm. but he's a much more carefree and energetic and so th- it kind of is interesting to put these two characters together and to sort of see that dynamic kyoya's father asks kyoya to like Befriend Tamaki for yeah. sort of like selfish reasons, you know, like get close mm. to him, blah blah blah. And then Keep in the process, closer. Yeah, exactly. And I literally, <laughs> I wrote in my notes, I was just like, I love this trope of one person thinking they're playing their enemy, and then the other person just wants to be friends. Lol. <laughs> um, I felt like it was like so precious, and it speaks so much to both of their characters, and adds mm-hmm. a lot more interesting depth to like the the arc of their their friendship mm-hmm. and how they actually do become really close friends.
1: Yeah, I, the placement of episode twenty four right before the final two episodes as well kind of mm-hmm. hones in on just how big of a character Kyoya is. Mm-hmm. And like you really I feel yeah. like the writer and the mangaka really wants you to see Kyoya and Tamaki as a unit mm-hmm. because for Kyoya, Tamaki really entered Kyoya's life in a very unexpected way uh-huh. and changed it for the better. And yeah. So that's why Kyoya is part of the club, because Kyoya is not someone who you would think Wants to be in a club like that. Yeah. And you don't really see him entertaining girls. So he's not in it for what the club can give to him. But yeah. He's more so in it for what Tamaki gives and brings into his life. Mm-hmm. Yes. The finale. So, I'm still actually. Okay, I'm still actually confused about like the premises of the finale um and the school fair, but I think it's oh, because God. like it's a cultural difference in that for high schools in Japan. I guess like the school fair means a lot to It them. is. Yeah. I think in general right?
0: club activities are uh, just a big thing in mm-hmm. um like Japanese high schools. Like um I don't know if it's like required that you be in a club, but people take their extracurriculars like very seriously, so I think mm-hmm. that's why the school fair is like A huge thing.
1: And you see it in, like, other animes as well. Yeah. The the Mm. upcoming school fair, like, you have to prepare for it Mm. a lot and it has to go well. Mm. And so it's definitely, like, a cultural thing because... Yeah, and honestly, I feel like school culture is just so
0: much more... I guess it's just very different over in Asia. When I was... I went... When I was studying in Asia... I went to Japan for a weekend. Like I was there on a weekend and there were kids taking the train on like a Saturday in their school uniforms. And I was like, there's no way these kids are going to school on a Saturday. Yeah. Yeah, So I don't know.
1: It's just school is like so different over there. I don't know. Um, But basically for the school fair, the host club like puts on this big event. And the, the main idea of the fair and the big event is like, we are witness to certain interactions between parents, kids, the parents and the friends of the mm-hmm. kids, blah, blah, blah. Because mm-hmm. a lot of this story is a lot of the plot is pushed by family relations, because I guess in like the bourgeoisie <laughs> of Japan, like it does have a lot to do with family connections mm-hmm. and the relationship between this family and the next yeah. family. And so it was an opportunity for viewers to get a closer um Look into what the parents think about the host club and how the parents compose themselves in public and uh, interact with their kids in public as Mm -hmm. well, right? Um, We see interactions between Tamaki and his Mm -hmm. father, and his father is warning him, like, you can't keep on dreaming forever. There are consequences to all of your actions and all of your Mm -hmm. whims because... It's no surprise that Tamaki is a whimsical guy and he's chasing after dreams constantly, but he has to wake up to this cutthroat lifestyle that he's destined to live because if you're living in this sort of world where you're vying for the company after your father, there's kind of no room for frivolities like like the host club, right? So this is where we're finally
0: meeting Tamaki's family um, because before this, we really don't know anything about Tamaki. And so now we are finally meeting his family, and we are seeing that his family's kind of messed up and it's, like, all over the place. It's very mm-hmm. fragmented. We learn in kyo episode that Tamaki is actually an illegitimate child. Um, and mm-hmm. so that adds just so much more complexity to, like, the, the, the politics of his whole family. Yes. And it also makes you realize um, that family is kind of the central theme of this show and that mm-hmm. Tamaki has basically – created a family with the host club because we finally see now that his actual family is so messed up and weird and fragmented Mm -hmm. and now it's kind of him having to face like the the fantasy that he's created not that the host club is a fantasy but he did curate it himself
1: right Mm -hmm. versus he built it up from the ground as soon as he got to japan which was kind of like the period of time when his real family life kind of like fell into the yeah. shambles. Yeah, and right? so
0: now he's having to face that um, or he, we're seeing the clash of those two sides of, of his world yes. and it is really, I guess it, it is a really compelling part of the show. Um, and we have this girl, Eclair, show up. Um, <sighs> first of all, Eclair is this girl from France who Tamaki has to marry for, you know, reasons. Um, Political Her reason. name is Eclair. That's racist. Um, first of all,
1: like, that's a dessert. I, I was literally in my notes. It says, I can't believe they named this French girl I after a French dessert. I
0: wrote Lamau. This girl's name is literally a Claire. <laughs> Shut up. That's racist. Um, it's just so ridiculous. But anyways, let's move on. Yeah. Um, I don't like female characters, especially female characters or any characters that come in purely to serve the purpose of being an antagonistic vessel. For the pro tag, the sexual antagonist. yeah. For the pro tags to Love realize their feelings, like it's a waste of potential. On mm-hmm. like it's fine if that's mm-hmm. the, the purpose that she needs to serve, but like why not introduce her sooner? Why not introduce her like mm-hmm. even if she's not like just to have her as more of a looming presence over the show instead of just like dropping yes. her in the mid. Like it, she feels like a cardboard cutout of a person. Um, mm-hmm. And that was like my biggest issue with her and with a lot of the characters.
1: And I feel like they tried to justify a little bit at the very end when she was like, oh, I was going to bring him to see his his Mm. mother. And like, he said, thank you to me. Uh, He said, thank you to me, Swin. But like, (laughs) it's not enough. It's just not enough of a justification. Like, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Like what are, what were the, um, the reasons for her to have wanted to bring him to see his mother? What are you getting out of it? What are your morals and standards? Like what is your stake in, in this other than, And you know, you know what was another opportunity wasted? They were literally in the car and Tamaki turns to her and goes, what about you? Like, what what are you in it for? Are you really going to be happy in this marriage with me? And they cut to a different scene instead of listening to her answer. I hate it. It's just... Yeah. It's just
0: unfortunate. Um my other thing is like I'm not saying that the finale was bad. Like I I genuinely I enjoyed the finale. I had I had mm-hmm. the warm fuzzies. Mm-hmm. My heart was beating like <laughs> when they were <laughs> You know, chasing Tamaki and making sure that he doesn't, you know, go back to France, yeah. blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I will say, though, that that is exactly the finale that I envisioned for a show like this. Expected. Because that's literally <laughs> isn't that how they all end. It's just one of them has mm-hmm, to leave mm-hmm. and then the other person chasing them down mm-hmm. and being like, don't leave. I, like, care about yeah. you. Like, it's, it's exactly yeah. what I imagined. And so... It just solidified my dislike for Lady Eclair coming in at the end just to like facilitate the whole thing. But I will say though mm-hmm. that the this show like wrote the romance with a, like the, the actual romance between Tamaki and Haruhi with mm-hmm. a lot more restraint than I imagined yeah. it would be. Like I literally thought this would be a straight up romance, but it's really like the most of the show is about Haruhi's relationships with everyone in the club. And it's about her coming to mm-hmm. realize that she has fun with all of these people. And her her feelings mm-hmm. for Tamaki, like at the they just kind of come in as like this realization at the very end of the show. It's a lot more wholesome and sweet and I almost want to say realistic, um, because mm-hmm. it's not as overt. Um And so, Mm. yeah, it's just it's crazy because in in the midst of this ridiculous, ridiculous show, the romance is the one thing that actually has a little bit of like subtlety Mm -hmm. to it,
1: which is kind of nice. And that brings me back to my question as well about like what makes Auron a classic and so beloved. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because like I'm actually like a big sucker for happy endings Mm -hmm. because I just want. <laughs> like, the satisfaction and like the payoff, and so I was really glad it was a happy mm-hmm. ending. And just to go back to your point about being it being nuanced and like subtle, mm-hmm. um, I totally agree. Like she comes to the realiza- realization that she cares about Tamaki not because the entire series he's like vying for her yeah. attention mm-hmm. and like being nice to her. Like it's not because he's always chasing after her. But it's because she realizes that he cares so deeply for others. Mm-hmm. He wants to help others so mm-hmm. badly. He's a pure idiot and not yeah, like he like, has no ulterior motives. He's just like
0: a pure idiot. Like he really does things out of the kindness of his heart. And I think that's so different from a lot of the male love interest pro tags that mm-hmm. we see in a lot
1: of these types of shows. Like they're not so wholesome and endearing. And, you know, she, she, she recognizes that he does do something for her. He allows her to let loose, have fun. Mm -hmm. He introduces her into this family that like genuinely cares about her and that, you know, yes, they have a lot of inequities and they're not perfect. And, um, but they like recognize that. And, you know, that's sometimes that's what being a family is about. Not everybody in your family is going to be perfect. Mm -hmm. Like as a family, you're going to go through struggles. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, To answer like why is Auron such a classic it's because they present you at first with such a ridiculous idea and such a ridiculous Mm. plot and then by the end of it you're like oh my gosh what (laughs) I would
0: die for you guys. I I would say though like from a writing perspective I can see why it's I guess worthy of being a classic within the shoujo um, genre but I'm curious to see like actually Mm -hmm. like culturally because not everyone watches anime like this like not everyone is like oh Mm -hmm. my god like this is my favorite show because it subverts tropes and (laughs) like (laughs) so i'm curious as to actually like was it the timing or was it really for these reasons that we're discussing like what was it that resonated with people
1: so like widely um because i i know a lot of people who've mm -hmm. seen it who don't watch anime so it was very like yeah historically
0: altering yeah and i would say like i mean i have i have close friends who watched it and you know they're they're not they don't watch shows with any kind of particular critical mindset or anything like that but they really love the Mm -hmm. show and they Mm -hmm. watched it as a kid and they're just like oh yeah like or on like of course i watched that as a kid well because i'm watching it as an adult right like i'm and i Mm -hmm. can say like yeah it's good for these
1: reasons um but i wouldn't be thinking that as a kid (laughs) so and maybe you know, maybe it's something deeper, and maybe it's something that we'll never know either, but also maybe it's just because <sighs> it's just a love story, Chris. Yeah, okay, you know what? It's just a love story, maybe, and we love love. <laughs> maybe
0: it's because the show is a love story, but it's actually, I would say, focused more on family love than it is romance love, Like, yes. which I was not expecting at all. Like, I was not expecting for mm-hmm. romance to take the back burner on the show, it sounds it mm-hmm. sounds like such a paradoxical thing to say because it's a show <laughs> about a host club, but yeah, just yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> I love it, I love it yeah. because I like grew up mm-hmm. with it and I have so many feelings. And nostalgia
0: is such an interesting thing, like it really is,
1: because mm-hmm. like you mm-hmm.
0: can look at it and be like, I love this, like despite everything yeah. and like my ultimate nostalgia anime <laughs> on the completely other mm. end of the spectrum was naruto and naruto has so yeah. many like terrible like things about it in its writing in its pacing mm-hmm. in the way it dropped its ball and its character writing but you look at it and you're just like this was my childhood like i could mm-hmm. i can literally like watch a scene and like just cry remembering like everything or listen to a song and just cry remembering everything like yeah, yeah. so
1: it's it's interesting you're to gonna kind of you're going to laugh at me for bringing Why? this up, but I liken nostalgia to how a writer would portray dreams. Mm-hmm. And literally one of the most prominent discussions that I've ever had about nostalgia and dreams comes from our AP English <laughs> class. <laughs> so Chris, I don't know if you remember, I'm but scared. it's when we were studying the, the glass menagerie. Oh my God. Yeah. And basically we had this entire discussion in class about <laughs> how in dream-like. Um, situations and works we see that like everything is distorted except for whatever we are dreaming about mm-hmm. like the main focus is always crystal mm-hmm. clear and then everything else around that is just blurred out like when I recommended or on high school house club to you <laughs> the first thing that stuck out to my mind wasn't oh my gosh the incest <laughs> the the pedophilia yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I yeah I wasn't even mm-hmm. thinking about it. I was thinking, oh my gosh, she's going to love the finale. Mm-hmm. Like I was remembering all of the good things that I took away from Orion yeah. because I think that's just how nostalgia yeah. works. I think that there are there are positive aspects to things that we take so personally mm-hmm. and that means so much to us and we take it away. And everything else that was negative or that didn't contribute much just was blurred away. And I think that's the essence of nostalgia, mm-hmm. right? Because you always think that... You always look back on the memories that you had and wish that you were there, but the, the memories that you're living through right now are just not as they don't shine as brightly because the negative aspects are still there and they're you're still, still concrete. living it. Yeah. Whereas mm-hmm. exactly, whereas things in the past, it's like the negative stuff that didn't mean as much just kind of faded away for you. When in reality, the memories of both present and past are probably of equal value as well. Yeah, I mean,
0: I agree. Like I think nostalgia is so it's just so powerful and I feel it a lot with anime in particular because, you know, I, I when I think of my childhood, I think of anime. That's a lot of what I watched as a, as a kid. And so the way that I always view it is like, it's, it's like a memory, but all you are remembering are the feelings and not the details. And yeah. so the feelings, yes. it's just, yeah, it's just everything else melts away. And so the thing that you're actually remembering, it, it's not anything specific. It's just what Mm -hmm. you felt about the
1: details but not the details itself um and that's really i think what the finale of war on tried to do like if you look at the setup of the finale and the sunset mm -hmm. the water but i think that this show does a good job of like um
0: making it feel like the ending is earned and it mm -hmm. is like genuinely like heartwarming and i was like very shocked Mm -hmm. at like how much i I was kind of feeling things. Like, I was feeling emotions. (laughs) Like, I love a good romance just as much as anyone else. Yeah. It was good. It was powerful. Okay. So for our next segment, we will be doing the Bechdel test, which if you don't know what the Bechdel test is, it's basically a test that was developed by a cartoonist i believe named alison bechdel um and it's basically three questions that you can ask yourself about any piece of media to judge the female representation in said media (laughs) and basically how good that female representation is Mm -hmm. um so the three questions are Number one, are there at least two named female characters? Mm-hmm. Number two, do they speak to each other? And number three, do they speak to each other about something other than a male love interest? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are there are at least two named female characters. There are a bunch yeah, of there named are a female lot. characters. Mm-hmm. Do they speak to each other is... Yeah. I would say that's up for debate.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, well, they speak to, to each other. and Okay, so see... It's like hard to determine if they're speaking to each other or if they're speaking to the audience to just to just like get across a point that they're trying to make. Sure, right? Like Renge breaks the fourth wall a lot. He's she talking is. to all of the host club members, mm-hmm. but you never really see her and Haruhi have a moment. Yeah, um, the Labellia girls talk to each other, but it's not really a conversation, no. you know. <laughs> so it's like it's a it's hard. <laughs> yeah, I would say that there's
0: no like clean answers, but I would say you could stretch, but you would be stretching so much. Yeah. That at s- to really look at it fairly, it's like it's too much of a stretch in my opinion. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. I do feel like Haruhi is like the only real real fleshed out female character in yeah. the show and that all the other female characters are there to serve a purpose mm-hmm, for the mm-hmm. other host club. Character. and
1: like I guess even at this point we can say that already that the series doesn't pass because even if we just look no. at the next question <laughs> do they speak to each other about something other than a male love interest like hardly nothing comes to mind no. yeah so and you know we had said like that's so disappointing because this <laughs> cast is so full of females.
0: Yeah. Oh, there my God. There are so
1: many girls that come in and go, and uh-huh. yet you still can't fulfill the bare minimum requirements of the Bechtel test. Exactly. And
0: I just the fact that there's so many females and, like, not one of those characters is, like, Haruhi's friend. Like, there's no yeah. female, like, healthy, strong, interesting female friendships in the show is also such a mm-hmm. waste. And, again, product of its time, it's the early thousands. There's the whole mm-hmm. trope of, like, I'm not other I'm not like other girls
1: because yeah. I'm not friends with
0: other girls is we know now is like super toxic but um and just to yeah. your point like I
1: hate <laughs> I hate the idea of like uh, <laughs> I hate the idea that in order to be cool collected yeah not like other girls you have to hang out with boys yeah yeah
0: it's really the worst trope that came out of the early to mid thousands. Like
1: for real, like <laughs> really the worst. If you don't have any guy friends, if you don't hang out with the guys and hang or down with the boys, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, you're just like any other girl, and you're not special. Or if
0: you're into dresses and
1: like quote unquote feminine things, like you're just mm-hmm. like other girls. You're not cool. Uh, I saw this tweet the other day that was like, and I retweeted it, and you liked it, so you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> okay. I saw this tweet where it was like, I, I'm convinced that like any girl who really likes pink nowadays <laughs> like it as it, like now that they're older was like denied from liking pink as a child because oh, like yeah. they thought it was too girly mm-hmm. or like uh they were looked down on for it yeah and honestly I resonated so much because I yeah I actually took ballet when I was a kid and Me too. oh my gosh oh really <laughs> yeah I did <laughs> we never knew this about each other um <laughs> and like I took ballet and like I purposefully made my parents Stop the lessons because mm. i I was scared of being seen as too girly and i I was a real tomboy as a kid mm. and now like i I regret that so much, and now I love the color pink yeah like I can attest to that mindset being so heavy on my mind even as a child yeah that I couldn't wear pink I shouldn't I shouldn't do ballet it's too girly I didn't want to be like other girls yeah
0: Yeah. and it's so interesting because it's like it wasn't something that was necessarily imposed on us by Mm -hmm. by anyone or by my parents or anything like that but it's something that we internalize for some reason yeah we self and so many girls have internalized it like when I'm moved into like the house like my family house now i moved into it when i was maybe five years old or something mm-hmm. and five or six and i came in in the room that was supposed to be mine was originally painted pink and i mm-hmm. immediately walked in and like the first thing i told my mom was like <laughs> oh my we're gosh. painting this room mom and so yeah. yeah like i painted my room because it was pink and i had this like aversion to pink right. and like i totally had to unlearn a lot of these things um And I think for me, it also just came as a product of growing up with an older brother, growing up um, watching shonen anime because of my brother, growing up playing video games because of my brother. Um, I just thought that like that's how you're supposed to be cool because like, Mm -hmm. you know, I see my older brother doing this and, and like, you know, if I'm just like a girly girl, then it falls into like all these expectations of who I'm supposed to be. And Mm -hmm. that's the kind of, it's not any conscious thought that I had when I was a kid, but it was something that I, for some reason, internalized. This is not to say, like, just because a show doesn't pass the Bechdel test, like, you should hate it, da-da-da, like cancel it. (laughs) No, but I think you should be aware that it's not the type of tropes that we should bring into modern media. Mm.
1: Yeah. And just to show that, like, how easy it is to get those opportunities and waste them as well. Like, don't waste the opportunities Mm -hmm. that you're given, Mm -hmm. you know, especially, like, when you have a platform and an audience, like, Mm -hmm. take advantage of that to do good for um, the psyches of, like, your audience, especially if it's going to be, like, little girls, because I think that's such such an audience that has been brushed under the rug and, Mm -hmm. like, oh, we'll cater to the little girls with, like, good-looking boys and shallow romance stories, because that's what they like. And it's, like, who's to say that, like... This is what
0: little girls want to see, you know. Like that's such a leap to just be like, look at all these pretty boys. Like that's what girls want to see, right? Like, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So presumptuous. Yeah. But that's a whole other issue.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So we've we've, like (laughs) touched a lot of issues today. There's
0: Yeah, this discussion got very Ah. uh broad very quickly. So unfortunately, Oran High School Host Club does not. Past the door uh, Bye, sorry.
1: Um, I still like it though.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and to pause that feminism for a second, let's transition <laughs>
1: to dumpster fire. I hate every single transition is <laughs> dumpster fire. So dumpster fire, um, basically it's a time when no brain cells are required. We are just going to fangirl over we what we really, really like. Um, and it's just gonna be like some incoherent. You know, (laughs) (laughs) okay. So I know, I understand that Mm -hmm. this segment's gonna be harder for you. Um, (laughs) (laughs) it's not gonna be high. We were talking about dumpster fire, this dumpster fire, and we were saying how like it's so weird how <laughs> when because we're just coming off of our high episode, right, yes, and it's just it's just funny because like when they an anime is presenting you everything you want, everything they think you want, like oh boys being really seductive, Mm -hmm. fawning over girls. Mm -hmm. And it's like, all of a sudden, you don't really want them anymore. (laughs) You're just like, oh my God, they're cute. Like my sons, I love them. And then when they show you like them doing really wholesome things, like Mm -hmm. playing volleyball, being like best bros with the people on their team, you're like, oh my gosh.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just so, (laughs) I feel like it really comes down to like people want what they can't have. And so when they get just like, Yeah, it's just so weird. Like, people will go off the rails on their own imagination, but when it's, like, given to you in canon, it's just, like, like, you're just, like, like, oh, okay, that's nice,
1: I guess. I don't know. Like, (laughs) I guess since we're trying to do this whole thing where we're, like, guessing each other's favorite characters. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have any – I feel like you know, but, like, do you have any clue about, like, who I would die the most for? (laughs) Ooh.
0: Okay. Um, shoot. I'm going to guess Tamaki
1: yay okay good because i
0: was for a second i had some pause because i know that you really like hikaru Mm -hmm. and that when we were texting at some point while we were watching the show you were like oh my god like hikaru like you're gonna episode 16 like we love a hikaru (laughs) so i had a moment there um Mm -hmm. but i i would say like tamaki like is a really great character and i think it was Mm -hmm. so refreshing to see him as the quote-unquote male lead And just for him to not be a douche, like, Mm -hmm. I think the subversion of that trope and just getting to have a male character who's like a nice guy and he's wholesome. And it's that is the kind of standard that you should have for men and (laughs) not for, you know, these cold guys that do the bare minimum. In
1: my notes, it literally says, oh, Tamaki plays the piano. Oh, my God. I have something to say about that for a second.
0: Because, (laughs) Playing the piano is like I can name a lot of fictional characters that yeah. play the piano and like suddenly yeah. That's just like the most attractive thing a guy has ever done. I don't know like, why but I think For some it reason is. It's like guys playing the piano is like immediately like it's it's literally goes back to that thing where guys can do like the Bare minimum or like they can do something that a girl would also do but for some reason when a guy does it It's just like so much better. <laughs> Anyways um, Yeah I literally have no justification. Like, I can't no, it's rebuttal. Fine. I'm not, no, it's fine. Like, I'm, like, hating on it. I just think it's funny.
1: Now we will go on to the ratings. Yeah. Um. The ratings. Oh, my gosh.
0: I did not think about this. We never think about this, actually. <laughs> no, we don't. Point. We don't.
1: That's the problem. That's the point and the problem. Um, <laughs> um Hmm. I think I'm gonna give it 4.5 out of five. Holy crap! Yeah, that's the this is really high. Salcha
0: is so powerful. (laughs) Can we just talk about how that's the exact same rating that you gave (laughs) IQ?
1: It is. It is. And I knew it was gonna be controversial, but I'm judging it 4.5 out of five eclairs.
0: Oh my god! Desserts desserts?
1: or (laughs) desserts are the person desserts. All right. Um I think you're absolutely right. I think it's the nostalgia playing its role. That's fine. Um and I think that, you know, as a shojo within its genre, it's such it's just so good. It's a masterpiece of Shoujo mm-hmm. for its genre, for the amount of obstacles that it had to overcome as a Shoujo as compared to a shonen. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's done done such a good job. I think that I myself personally have learned so much lessons from it. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, as we were discussing in our previous episode. When what does come down to taste. Yes. Um, yes. Oran loses points for being problematic in mm. a lot of aspects, mm-hmm. but it gains, it, it gains points for having that unique factor in it that Haiku just didn't have for me.
0: Yeah. I'm going to rate it 2.8 mm-hmm. <laughs> Haruhis in her uniform. Let me explain. Okay. <laughs> and by her uniform, I mean like the, the boy's uniform. So (laughs) I'll explain the numerical value. Mm -hmm. I was going to rate it 2.5 because I think that the things that I hated about the show, I hated Mm -hmm. in terms of the some of the background character writing, um, the problematic tropes. Like I just couldn't get around that. And I also don't Mm -hmm. have the power of nostalgia, unfortunately. (laughs) But the things that I loved about the show and its focus on family, on friendship, and just how much I loved the character writing of Haruhi and Tamaki especially.
1: Mm-hmm. I
0: really loved. So I want, I was kind of like smack dab in the middle. 2.5. But upon further discussion and per, upon further reflection, I also think that this show can be viewed more um, as more self-aware and compared to its contemporaries a little bit better or a lot of right. it better. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't justify giving it a full three for taste reasons. Mm-hmm. So... Mm-hmm. I'm not, like, a romance hater. I, like, I love romance and, and like, whatever. It's just, I, it wouldn't be a show that I would pick on my own, but I watched yeah. it and I enjoyed it. But I can't <laughs> give it, I can't give it a three, because a three is a little still too high for me. Uh-huh. And right. my shounen wired brain. So a 2.8 2. 8. is a good, it's a good rating. Yeah. And I would say Haruhi in her school uniform, just because
1: she looks cute. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Thank you for making it this far. <laughs> We know it wasn't easy. Is that our new outro?
0: Yeah. It is. We know I'm it wasn't say easy. This every time.
1: <laughs> Thank you for making it this far. It wasn't easy, mm-hmm. but if you can put up with us a little bit more, please feel free to subscribe to our YouTube channel at the Workshop and to follow us on Twitter at Into the Workshop mm-hmm. and follow us on Spotify and follow us on Spotify yeah. at the Workshop mm-hmm. and and that's <laughs> it wow we will be going back to Shonen next week yes. we're not gonna reveal what we're doing yet but no. I think I think it's gonna be cool It's people are gonna like it yeah gonna be a little bit so of shit it's gonna be fun alright cool that's it for now we'll see you guys next time bye bye